Real Life Real Crime is a true crime podcast brought to you by Woody Overton and executive producer Toby Tomplay in conjunction with iHeartRadio and Cloud 10 Media. of acts of violence or that are of a sexual nature. It should be for people that are 18 years or older. Heed my warning, people. I did not get the facts of these cases off of the internet or from some television show. The facts I'm retelling you were presented to me by the victims of the crimes or the perpetrators who committed the crimes against the victims. My description of the crime scenes or what I saw with my own two eyes. If you're going to get offended, please turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And as always, I'm your host, Woody Overton. I want to thank you all for joining us today and tell you a little bit of a bizarre story. And please be 18 or older okay and heed my warning people seems like every episode someone doesn't heed the warning and they want to send me a nasty comment because i said something sexual or or about violence or whatever well guess what this is real life real crime and i'm woody overton and i'm gonna tell you how cali to cabbage regardless if you don't like it please turn it off all right, so name of this one, I'll call it Eastover. And I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. You'll be getting this the Tuesday after Thanksgiving, and I hope you had all the fixings and the good stuff and family and whatever it is you like to do and, and that you're blessed, right? And so we're certainly blessed to have you. Stay tuned at the end of... Eastover for podcast announcements. So I guess the year was probably uh, 2004, somewhere around there. And I'm not going to use the name on this one, y'all, because um, I mean, although parts of this are going to be funny, certainly I don't think that uh, any type of mental disease is funny. But it was around 2004, and I was working as a detective with the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office. And I also was on the special response team this before I gave it up because 
I was working so many hours a day. And back then, y'all, the special response team, if you've been a listener in the past, you know, we were called the Men in Black. It was all volunteer. Sheriff Willie Grays was a fourth anchor. And Jason Ard, who's now the sheriff, was the head of the, the it, basically, it's SWAT team, but the politically correct way or sensitive, whatever, they call it special response team now because SWAT stood for special weapons and tactics. But when I first went into detectives, I was still on the SRT team, and it was, you never knew when you got called out, okay? And you got called out for only the bad stuff. But it seemed to me it always happened when I was off duty, it, working day working day shift in detectives, and I would go home and, you know, a shooting would happen or whatever the situation may be. We had a, a high-risk search warrant or whatever, and we, or, you know, meth lab, whatever it may be. We'd get the call out. We'd get the page. Then you had to go. Generally, you would go to one certain location and meet up and get the information on what was going on, and they would get a game plan together. And then if it was a say, a house we were going to hit, they would go do surveillance on it, and uh, so you'd have real-time action, and you would know where the doors were and the windows were, and I mean, you just tried to get as much information as you could on the situation before you sent out the special response team. Well, sometimes you couldn't get any information, and, and on these cases, you're responding to an emergency in progress. And so on this night, it was a hot summer night, I can tell you that. This night, my pager goes off around 9.30 uh, p.m. And, you know, I work from 8 to 4. So I, I would have been at home chilling, watching TV, pager goes off, and it's SRT call out, but it's respond to... Eastover subdivision and gave a certain address, right? Of course, we would have called in on the way. So what I do, jump out of my chair, and now I carried all my equipment, my weapons, my you know extra weapons. My I carried a change of the the black clothing, whatever you want to call it, the BDUs and the jacket that goes over it. You know, you had a different firearm, you had a different pistol for the the SRT team. I I carry, you had an AR-15 and, and I had a shotgun. I carry, I like to carry the shotgun most of the time, especially on entries and stuff. Uh, but you had Kevlar helmets, you have the uh, extra plates and then and this extra big bulletproof vest. And these plates that you put in were like, geez, I don't know, 20 pounds each. And they were high ballistic plates to try to stop rifle bullets. More so, these vests were way heavier than you know, the ones that the cops wear every day, right? And you just had all this stuff, knee pads and elbow pads and, and like I said, the ke the, the helmet, the Kevlar helmet and, and goggles. It's just a, a ton of stuff, okay? And I always kept it in the trunk of my unit. At that time, I would have had, I think I had a, like a, a, a blue unmarked Crown Vic Crown Victoria, and they don't even use those in police work anymore. I guess, I guess I'm telling how old I am. So I kept that bag 
prepared and ready to go, uh, locked up in the trunk of my car. And yes, I, I kept my weapons and stuff locked up in the trunk of my car, and I shouldn't have. And over the years, you know, I, t I think I've told you all this before, certain pe vehicles would get broken into by chance, and they would actually get SRT members' gear and, uh, and stuff out of the vehicles, but store it for another day. But at home that night, I jumped up, I ran in my closet, and I had extra SRT uniforms hanging. So I went ahead and threw one on one. I knew it was going to be hot, so I didn't have to wear any long johns or anything like that. And you know, I throw my stuff on, and I'm getting on the phone. I'm calling the team leader. I'm like, "What's going on in Eastover?" Now, let me tell you about Eastover. Eastover, and I'm not being racist, y'all. When if I say ghetto or white ghetto or hood or whatever i'm just telling you the damn neighborhood but the east over was just south of denham springs i think it's probably still there but i haven't been in there in years and years and years but that just south of denham springs and it was a total shithole it was the worst trailer park on the west side of the parish by far hands down and it was massive okay now listen i'm not putting down on it everybody's got to live somewhere right or otherwise you're going to be homeless there are a lot of great people in there i spent a lot of time in there working a lot of cases i spent a lot of time in there in criminal patrol i spent a lot of time in there helping people okay and a lot of them really good people but unfortunately that it was full of drugs. It was full of domestic violence calls. It was full of murders, uh, uh, rapes, and I mean, just all the bad shit. And we just, it, it was a frequent flyer. If you were working on the west side of the parish, you were going in that bitch at least once, sometimes 20 times a day on different calls, okay? Whether it's burglaries or whatever. It was just, it was a, is a bad place. And if you were going out on criminal patrol or you work in narcotics, you were going to focus on that area because they all it all came through there on the south side of Denham. We had a couple couple ones like Magnolia Estates um, just north of Denham, but they they weren't near the size and scope of Eastover. But they were problem childs. But you know, you could go back and forth between the two and guarantee you were gonna make the make a rest. So I throw on my stuff. I call in, and they, the team leader says, "Hey, man, we got a hostage situation." And I said, "What's up?" And they said they got a female, white female, and she's locked inside her trailer, and she's got a pistol. She had been outside. Uh, she chased somebody down the street with the pistol, and they called 911, the, the blue and white or the responding uniform patrol officer went to show up and the, I mean, came in as, a, as 911-103G, which is a disturbance with a gun. But as soon as they said where it was, I already knew this person, okay? And we had a long standing history with her. But back to it, they said that she chased the person down the street, like literally had a pistol, pointing at him, was going to kill him, et cetera. And then she turned around and she ran back inside her house. Well, guess what? Cops got to show up, right? Got 911 call. 
somebody's got to show up and, and see what's going on. And, man, hey, a lot of them, you, you get calls like that, and they're bullshit, and there's nothing going on. Maybe this person wouldn't leave the house or whatever, whatever. Well, guess what? This lady, y'all, I knew it was legit. And, and so they said the uniform officer showed up and w went to the door, and before he could get to the door, now you never – approach a door head on because we call, call that the kill zone because you can be shot through the door. So you always, especially on a trailer, you want to come to the side where, it, um, you know, duck below the windows or whatever and maybe reach around with your hand and knock on the door. They, they had the little wooden step shell that went up to it, the door, and knock on the door. But to, you don't want to stand there where they can crack the door open and shoot you either, right? I'd like to come around the backside and knock and say, hey, sheriff's office, shit, and, the unit that responded said he didn't even get to the door, and she kicked the door open and pointed the firearm at him and said, I'm going to blow your fucking brains out. Get out of my fucking yard. And then, I mean, he's standing in a wide-ass open, but she grabbed the door and hurry up and slammed it before he could even draw his weapon. He Technically, he could have killed her uh, if he'd have been fast enough on the draw. But, but at that point, all he can do is – what he should have done, which is get the fuck out of the way, back up, get behind his unit, take cover, and he called in, hey, I just, you know, 108, 108, officer needs assistance, you know, just had a firearm pointed at me, such such address, send back up, right? Well, they're going to send every God and everybody. She just literally could have killed a deputy. I mean, they, they weren't, they weren't, 20 yards apart, maybe 20 feet apart. It was right, right close. But she got the door closed. I'm thankful that she slammed the door in a hurry because he. I, I know the, I know this guy, and he's a veteran. He would have killed her, the, uh, or he'd have shot her, and he'd have been rightfully so in, in doing so. But thank God it didn't go that way. Real life, real crime. Hey y'all, you've been hearing me talk about the game best fiends for probably over two years now and you know how much i play it y'all believe it or not i'm on level 2127 who says the kids should have all the fun right my son he's playing games on his phone all day but he knows when i'm on mine he runs over and says you playing best fiends again you playing best fiends again what level are you on daddy well, guess what? I'm guilty of it. And one of the things I love about it, though, y'all, is being out in the country, I don't have to have Wi-Fi to play it. It still progresses. With Best Fiends, you play through an actual storyline, and you compete with good guys, the fiends, against the bad guys, the slugs. Your fiends start out as wee baby versions of their future selves. The more you play, the more fiends join your team, and the more powerful they become helping you solve increasingly challenging puzzles as you progress through the game. It's an action-packed adventure and a brain-boosting puzzle game all rolled into one. There's new content added all the time, so you're never bored. And with literally thousands of levels and more added on all the time, there's always a fresh challenge when I need a mental pick-me-up. Download Best Fiends free today on the App Store or Google Play. That's Friends without the R, Best Fiends. Download Best Fiends. That's Friends without the R. So um, now 
I'm on the phone, y'all, and I, I'm at, and I'm climbing in my unit. I'm talking to the team leader, and when I get in the unit, I hear somebody say that they were 10-8, and meaning they were back in service, and I hear the dispatcher say the net is 10-33 for 360-whatever, 361, whoever it was, the unit number, I can't remember. Hold for emergency traffic, y'all. 1033, the net means you hold it. Nobody can talk except for this guy that's on scene. Why do you do that? In case she comes back out and she starts shooting, right? He wants You don't want somebody calling in a traffic stop if somebody is shooting at you. If there's an emergency situation, you 1033 the net, and that is, means don't get on that son of a bitch unless less you have something important to say. But we had other channels you could swap over to. But I didn't swap to another channel because I didn't give a shit about anything else that was going on. The team leader knew I was coming, and I was probably 20 minutes away, 25 minutes away. But then when he told me who it was, I was, I was like, fuck. I said, I said, he is so lucky. And he said, you're right. He said, that bitch is crazy. And y'all, when we say bitch and all that stuff, it's, it's not being derogatory. I'm just telling you how the cops talk. So I'm hauling ass to Eastover. Now, you turn into Eastover, they have what they call the boulevard, all right? When you turn in, that's the main drag. And when you turn in, I would had to take a left in. You turn in, you're on the boulevard. There's one, there's, there was a little area on the right where there was no trailers there was like some old dilapidated cars and and but on the left the trailer started immediately on the left hand side and you you go probably maybe a quarter of a mile and i'm going from memory quarter of a mile and there's the first street on the left maybe aztec or something like that most of the streets had like indian names or cherokee aztec stuff like that in that in that hood you had that first street on the left and then if you took that first street on the left you go in there's multiple streets going different directions but you if you took the first street on the left you go in there's a clubhouse which was now being used as a church or something in the middle of of the uh trailer park and but i didn't have to go there because this lady lived in like the fourth trailer on the right i remember i told you the right hand side only had one trailer and then there was woods directly behind it. So when you, you start and you hit Aztec and there's like one, two, three, maybe maybe the fifth or sixth trailer, but she was just past Aztec on the right. And now if you kept going down the boulevard, eventually you would go to the back and it circles around all the way, way in the back and it comes back around to the other streets, okay? So I turn in, I already know where I'm going, and it's not far. And, and, and I, I'm thinking it's like the sixth trailer on the right. Now, these trailers on the right-hand side, y'all, they were not, if you're driving down the road, they weren't horizontal. They were facing, her trailer faced where the bedroom window was facing the road, okay? So when you walk up to the trailer, you had to walk around the edge, the end of the trailer and walk up down the face of it till you get to the steps and then knock on the door. So I don't know if that's horizontal or perpendicular, but it, the trailer, the front door was not facing the road. Let's put it like that. Uh, but before you can get there, it's a sea of lights, right? So, which is all the responding units, they've set up a perimeter. 
and meanwhile, the men in black are responding from all over, right? And, and again, it was all volunteer, and some of them lived way across the parish, forty minutes away, and and some of them lived within five minutes, and and you know, it just took a while to get everybody there. But you already had uniform guys, every uniformed deputy that was in the area, whether they were civil serving papers or or they were on criminal patrol or the Dennis Springs City Police Department, everybody would have sent officers to get the situation contained. Contained meaning you don't want this lady running out the back door of the trailer and, and getting away with her firearm because you don't know what's going to happen, right? So what they did is uh, – before we were, I, we got there. Before I got there, they already had a perimeter set up, and in but it was with guys who aren't trained. I mean, they're trained a little bit. You've been in the shit, right? If you're in criminal patrol or uniform patrol, you know how to take cover and stuff like that. You never want to pull up close to the trailer. It's kind of like working a crime scene. You want to make it as big as you can uh, without losing sight of your target, I and mean, the target in this case is the trailer and any exit from the trailer. So because there was no road behind the other end of her trailer, they had had some of the uniform guys that kind of snuck around and were watching the backside of it using cover and stuff like that. Well, guess what? They still got their jobs to do, right? I mean, SRT, the men in black are who the cops call when they get scared, right? Or, or it's a situation you know, sugar certain shit is bad, and and uh, they can't handle it specifically. And they still have other jobs to do. So what happens is, we would meet. The, the, we knew the perimeter was established. And oh, they had called out the hostage negotiator. Now at the time, we had two hostage negotiators, and I'm not going to say their names. And that, like the special response team, was volunteer. You had to go to school for it. You had to be trained for it. I mean, certainly they didn't get let somebody like me go be a hostage negotiator. I'd be like, you know, you piss me off. I'd be like, go fuck yourself then, you know, right? Uh, uh, and do what you say you're going to do. But we had two. One of them was in route. All right. So, but now, y'all, this is before. This was before we had the direct response thing like you have nowadays when you have the school, uh, school or the supermarket or workplace shootings where you respond and eliminate the threat. It wasn't like that back then. You still did perimeters. You still had hostage negotiators and shit like that. So I do know he was on the way, a uh, real cool guy. But I arrived in, in where the SRT was staging, and what we did what we staged is – the team commander would have been on site and they was, they'd be like, okay, look, I need you to go relieve such and such uniform patrol guy. He's over here on this end of the trailer by the woods, right? Because, you know, once I'm suited up now, you get there, I get out and suited up, helmet, the whole nine yards, everything, you know, decked out, boom. And, and that's what they told me, say, hey, I need you to go on the back get around the backside, crawl in, you know, be clandestine, do do your thing, make sure you can see the back end of the trailer. And if you can, find a spot where you can see the back end and the front door. But so you, you can see, basically, they wanted me to get on the, on the far end of the trailer by the woods where I can see as much as I could, where I could see 
if she exited the trailer, right? Back door, front door, windows, whatever. So I did, and I, and I crawled in. Oh, actually, I went around the, uh, oh, they had already evacuated the trailers that were around hers. And the it didn't take long because they knew, everybody in there knew this lady was crazy. They, so they had evacuated the trailers. So I went in between the tr trailer next to hers, used cover, crawled around, got the uniform patrol guy that was in the very back. He was hiding behind a pine tree. And I told him, I said, hey, just take your time. Go, you know, walk down the fence line, go about four trailers down to the first trailer and then go out and we'll get somebody to get you to your unit. And so that's what I did. I would go in and I set up and I got down. It was, a, it was an old metal uh, shed and I got down in a prone position with my rifle where I could see the maximum amount that I could see. And I called in and we had our own way of communicating that nobody else could hear. And I called in, I said, hey, you know, I'm at such and such point. I'm in, such and such has been relieved. This is where I'm at. Okay, cool. So they're writing it down where I'm at. Somebody's gotta keep charge of that shit, y'all. You don't just go out there and go gangbusters. And as more SRT guys got there, they would place them in different, you know, relieve other uniform guys until we had a secure perimeter. This takes a while, right? I'm talking like, I'm, I'm been laying down now for like, I don't know, 45 minutes or whatever, where the hostage negotiator shows up. And y'all, it's dark. The, it's, the Eastover is not well lit up at all. I mean, I can I could see enough from like one street light that I was maybe two trailers down, but the outside of this lady's trailer was dark. It was, you could see a little bit. But, I mean, it wasn't pitch black. You know, I could see. And certainly I could see if somebody opened a door or a window or whatever, but it was still dark enough where it was to my advantage, I guess you would say. So SRT members are getting put in place around the trailer. Hostage negotiator shows up. Well, back then, it, as long as they weren't shooting or doing whatever, pretty much time was on your side, right? And, and so that's what we did. We set up, hostage negotiator gets on the loudspeaker and he says, hey, the, you know, this is so-and-so with the sheriff's office. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a negotiator. I just want to talk to you. I, I, you're not in any trouble with me. I'm just on the bullhorn, y'all. And now this perimeter that we have set up, you also have that set an outside perimeter outside of that with uniformed guys that are keeping looky-loos away, right? I mean, shit, this is entertainment. Everybody else that lives in East Ever, they're like, oh shit, it's going down tonight, right? Let's go, let's go watch. And so you have our perimeter, we have our contain. You have the outer perimeter, they're containing another the the looky-loos, if you will, the people who want, you know. I didn't have shit better to do than watch watch a standoff, and so in position and in what he's talking back for. And you, oh look, this this lady. Now I need to tell you about her. First of all, she was not being silent. She was screaming and carrying on. And I'm not. I'm not. Not even fifteen yards from the trailer, and she was going back and forth in the trailer. You could hear. 
you could hear the running back and forth twin trailer. And I saw the curtains move a couple times on the back end, the back window where I was watching. Uh, but she's screaming, fuck you, motherfuckers. Get out of here. I'm going to fucking kill all you motherfuckers. And, and the negotiator was like, hey, hey, you know, you just need to calm down and talk to me. You know, I'm here to help you. Fuck you, motherfucker. Da, 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 da. And so, but this lady... And I feel bad for y'all, and and I had had to arrest her before because she she legitimately was crazy, but not insane. She would get high and do stupid shit, and and I'll never forget one time I went over there and she had covered herself in flour and was running around the neighborhood threatening people, right? And um, had to tackle her that time in some freeze plus pier. When she was not high, I'd been through there before, and and actually had a sane conversation with her, right? And I don't, I don't know if she was on meds or whatever, but we'd had her committed before, a 72-hour commitment as long as you can do in the state of Louisiana. It's called a coroner's commit. And if you get to, get to dealing with her, like if I was uniform patrol and I got sent to her house, I said, send me some backup and call the coroner because nine times out of 10, we were gonna have to have her committed, right? And they would commit her for like 72 hours and get her back on whatever, I don't know, I think she was on meds, where they get her straight, whatever, and boom, she'd show back up in Eastover. So she knew us, and and we also knew that she had a propensity for violence. I mean, she had, you know, always acting out, always with a weapon, but she also was always sexual, okay? And the she was probably in her mid-40s. You know, I'm not being ugly. I mean, I'm describing her as a person, uh, mid forties, probably five foot four. I mean, a little short uh, thing, but heavy set. Never took care of her personal hygiene, and that's one of the things we would do on when we had to do the coroner's commit. And the coroner's commit, y'all, is when you go out and you respond with somebody, and you you know they're not not the right man, and not just high, but sometimes it's just throw it off. Or uh, the combination, the coroner would come out and be like, okay, nobody can deal with her. She can't go to jail because she's just whack. So they would send her to the hospital or, or whatever the, I hate to say insane place is, but the, the Greenbrier, whatever the name it was, they would send her there, the mental facility, that's what it was called. They would send her to the mental facility and lock her down for however long until they figured she wasn't a threat or harm to herself or anyone else, and they released her. Plus, she didn't have any insurance. I mean, she was on on government assistance, and I mean, she couldn't hold a job and all that. But I, again, I'd, I'd talked to her at times when she was clear as a bell and nice and, and waving and shit. Every time I turned in the East over, I'd cringe and I'd go by her place because, I mean, if she saw one of us, and, and she was on a good level, she'd be waving and want you to stop and talk to her. And I would, you know, uh, uh, if I wasn't rolling to something else. But the other times, damn it, you better strap it on, baby, because it was going to be on. You were going to have to arrest her or do whatever. And sometimes it was, was an arrest. Sometimes the, it, it wasn't a coroner's commit. But back to this night, she is raising three kinds of hell. Now, now we've been there for several hours. Okay, so when you're on perimeter on SRT, after you've been there a while, they'll send somebody to relieve you. And somebody will sneak up and relieve you, and you go out, and you take you like a 30-minute break. You get some water. I mean, look, this shit is fucking it's hot. And the mosquitoes are eating you up. 
in, you're sweating your ass off, and you know, so you get breaks, right? So I got the break, and I went up back to the little rally point, and the hostage negotiator is is in the vehicle talking to her on the bullhorn. Now they had tried to establish communication with her through another thing. She wouldn't open the door and take it through a phone. She wouldn't take it, but so he had to keep doing it over the bullhorn. And he said, he said, hey, will you watch this? And 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 I went over to him, I was drinking a, a thing of water. Of course, I'm concealed. And he said, watch this. And he said, you're going to see something funny. And I'm like, what? And he said, he, and he said her name and said, we'll call her Sheila. Sheila, Sheila, yeah, come on out, sweetie. Now, you know uh, um, we're not going to hurt you and da-da-da-da. Well, they had the, that, uh, they had the door of the trailer and that end of the trailer and that back side of the trailer lit up with spotlights, right? So when Sheila comes to the windows, she can see out, but she'll be blinded. Where I was in the back, there was no way to get a spotlight back there. So I'm, you know, that's the light I had to see by also. Sheila comes to what is her bedroom window, the, one of those half ovals on the thing, and she throws the curtain open and she is butt naked and she has a vibrator and she starts to use it on herself. She's in the window screaming, fuck you, fuck you. And then all this unintelligible stuff is she's using a vibrator on herself. I'm like, God damn. And I almost said his name. And I was like, dude, I could have gone forever without seeing that. Thanks a lot, right? But I told you with her, a lot of times it was sexual stuff and, and she loved to be naked. So anyway, that's where we were. And we we're just at a fucking standoff. And she just wasn't wasn't either coming down or getting in the right frame of mind. I go back out on the perimeter. Meanwhile, we established a plan. The we had a team that was I was on and in stack up, that's what we call it, stack up or uh, or line up at the back end of the trailer. And of course the trailer was still being watched by other people, the access points. And then they had a team somewhere in close proximity to the front of the trailer in case Sugar turned the shit, in case she started shooting or whatever, and we had to make entry. But, you know, the negotiator kept trying to talk to her, and shit, it just went on for hours and hours. And finally, the commander was like, fuck this. And he said, cut the power. And, you know, let's force her hand. So they cut the power to her house. Now, it's hot. Right, and I don't know if it was July or August, it was hotter and shit. And then when they cut the power, you're sitting in a tin box. She didn't have any, I don't think she had air conditioning to begin with, or maybe she had one, I don't remember. But we cut the power, she flipped out. I mean, she was really pissed. Yeah, cut my fucking power, turn my fucking power back on. Da, 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 da. I'm thinking, I'm, um, I can only imagine she's standing up there in the window doing her thing, right? But at least uh, her vibrator was battery operated. But she was going off, and, and you know, we're stacked up in the back and kind of still just waiting it out. But, you know, if, if she starts shooting, we know that we, we got to make entry, right? And we were in a safe place, and she's carrying on one. But look, it wasn't 15, 20 minutes of no power. And then she, she was escalating. She was like, you motherfuckers, I'm telling you, turn my power back on. Turn my fucking power back on. And, and all this other crazy stuff she was saying. And you hear, bam! And it was, fuck me. It was gunshot, right? And she was somewhere closer to her end of the trailer, and... You know, if you ever hear a bullet go by, 
you'll never forget it, okay? And when you train, even in the Army, uh, when I was in the Army and, and, and on SRT and stuff like that, they make you lie down and they fire different caliber weapons over your head so you can actually hear what the bullet sounds like when it goes by. So if you're in the field and somebody's shooting at you, you can be like, holy shit, that's a, really those are bullets. I know what that sounds like. Well, I heard the bullet, but it wasn't, I, I don't think it, I know it wasn't intentionally directed at us, but I know it was in our vicinity. Well, when that happened, motherfucker, now it's on, right? So immediately, <laughs> this is funny, but it's not. Immediately, uh, one guy in our stack, in our line, went up to the, the rear window of the trailer and takes his, his ass, which was a metal expandable baton, and starts breaking out the window. Boom, boom, boom. Another guy, is designated to come up and throw a flashbang into that window, okay? Now, we're all in the stack behind the shield. Once they get back in the line, it, once they throw a flashbang, he threw it, so bang out. The, the, you know then to tuck your head down because it's it's a concussion grenade. It's going to blind you. It's, going, it, it's made to blind and stun the senses of the bad guy, or in this case, the bad lady. So she cannot see, she can't hear. It'll literally knock the snot out your fucking nose, all right? So when they when they uh, they said, bang out, you know, we go, we go to Tuck, well, guess what happened? They threw the bang, the, he threw the flash bang, and some bitch bounced off the window. The, it didn't hit a spot where the window was broken, and it came back and rolled over feet. Well, I had my eyes closed, my head tucked. I didn't know until it fucking went off. And went, Boom! And I mean, it just blew my, you know, the force of it, the concussion of it, but blew my helmet partially sideways, knocked us all out of line and shit. And meanwhile, the, the, the front team comes up and they go and they hit the front door and they make the entry and they go in they, and they do their thing. We're all <laughs> in the back, stunned to fucking death. Thank God my eyes were closed. I couldn't hear anything. And, you know, just took a knee and, 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 Looking at the other guys and, and I mean, everybody's stunned, right? We were out of commission. Uh, There's no fucking way we were doing anything. And but they made the entry, and she was in the back hallway, closer to us, uh, and sitting down on the floor, naked. And the pistol was beside her, and she had shot it. She had shot it out the back corner. If we were we were on the back, stacked up, facing, we would have been going into the direction or where the window was when we came up and when they were breaking the window through the bang, which bounced back out. But she shot out of that corner, right? So it wasn't a feet away from us. And I mean, tell you what, if we if they had made entry on her, she'd have kept shooting, all right? But as soon as she did that, she, as soon as she fired that shot, my, my first thought was maybe she killed herself. But she fired the shot immediately the front team took their actions and I'm not gonna tell you what everything I mean, but everybody's seen flashbangs, right? They're on they're on T V and the internet, uh and movies and stuff like that, stun grenades. And the front team did their distraction, whatever they, they were gonna do to cover coming in and then they go up and they hit the door. They take the door forcefully, go in and she's down in the hallway and one of the guys said he thought she was dead at first. The gun was down beside her, but she was just laying there naked in a fetal position, crying, and they cuffed her up, get her out, put a blanket around her, and then, then they have to do a sweep of the interior of the residence, make sure there's no dead bodies, nobody else is hiding, whatever. The residence was clear, come out, call, clear, turn the lights on. We're in the back, we're getting our shit together, and we're like, oh shit, you know? 
<laughs> really wasn't a good situation for us. But you know what? That's how you learn. I mean, we had plenty, plenty of training, y'all. But the best plans in the world go awry. Some, uh, that's why you train over and over and over and over again, right? And, and there are no problems, just solutions. And when it, the, thank God I had my eyes closed, and it, as did everybody else the way we were trained. And, but it's still the, the force and concussion of the grenade was enough to take us out of the ball game. We were out. So it was up to the first team. They executed the rest. Corner was on scene by this time in Acadian ambulance. Get her out and take her to the, uh, the mental hospital. And, and, you know, she started back hollering and screaming and all that again. But she, she was in cuss by that time. They take her away. And that story just popped in my head the other day because I, I was watching something on TV and and uh, somebody had popped off a flashbang. But, you know, mental sickness and stuff like that, that we dealt with more people who had problems like that. I and mean, you never knew which day you were going to catch them on, if it was going to be the good day or the bad day. And there's story after story about people like that that I could tell. But thank God she didn't kill anybody. Thank God she didn't kill herself. And I don't know what whatever happened to her. I, I guess I'll ask somebody one day when I see another uh, deputy from over there if she's still alive and around because we're talking like 16, 17 years ago. It was the last time I saw her. And But we all walked away, so it was a good day. But the men in black and everybody – that wears the uniform and the badge, not the shit heels that rape people or kill people or beat people unnecessary. But my hat's off to you fellas uh, uh, and ladies that go out there and put your lives on the line every day. The uh, y'all know the story was outside the norm, but I just wanted to tell it. So that's it. Uh, uh, appreciate you listening. And we're going to be starting a really dramatic, I'm going to be starting a really dramatic bad thing. And I'm going out in the field on it tomorrow. And Toby Tomplay is going to meet me. But you'll get it next week. And and I'm sure it's probably going to be a multi-week thing. And I think that it'll be a case that lifers are going to be very passionate about and you can get involved in, and but I'll explain all that to you next week. So y'all be sure to um, subscribe to Real Life Real Crime wherever you listen to podcasts, anywhere in the world, whatever app you listen to or whatever. If you can hear Real Life Real Crime, there's a subscribe button. Hit subscribe. That way every time I drop an episode, you'll get notified. The Real Life Real Crime community app. In the app store it's free thousands and thousands of y'all have swapped over uh, i think it's pushing like four i don't know it was, it's, it's well over four thousand have swapped over in what the last month so uh, i appreciate that but it's so much more than we have in any any of our other spots like i have instagram and i try to post in there a lot uh which is at real life real crime okay or at overton woody then i have like five different facebook pages like the crew page which has over thirty six thousand three hundred members in it now 
great. I still, you know, do posts in the crew page, right? But I go to the Real Life Real Crime Community app first because it's all those pages and Instagram and everything in one spot, and it's free. There's a reason I'm telling y'all. It has so much more stuff, forums, case updates, just so much stuff that you can't imagine, but it's all in one place, and it, and it helps me. And it's uncensored. That's a, that's another huge thing. won't get censored by Facebook anymore. But if you get a chance, go download it. It's free. If you're a patron member, we love you. God bless you. Thank you for your financial support. In the Real Life Real Crime Community app, we could call them patron members convicts. It's the same thing. So a patron member, if you want to swap over at whatever level you're at now and, and you don't know how to do it, there's instructions everywhere. But if you don't know how to do it, then just email Cindy, C-Y-N-D-I, at realliferealcrime.com, and she will hook you up. Thou, not thousands, hundreds and hundreds of Patreon members have already swapped over. We always have Patreon. I get it. Some people don't like change. That's fine. If you want to stay Patreon, that's fine. But if you want to become a convict, that's awesome too, right? And it's easier to use than Patreon is. It's just easier on all the billing and all that. But thank you all so much for your, your financial support. I really do appreciate it. And everybody else, it, you know, I think it was two weeks ago, we dropped a uh, one of the Patreon slash convict episodes that we have locked up in a vault. Now, that when you subscribe to Real Life Real Crime, you get all these different benefits and the higher the, the, the level of subscription, the more benefits you get. But the very least you're going to get, you get unedited, commercial-free early releases, and then you get access to the vault, or now it's called the Canteen, and inside the Real Life Real Crime Community app, the Canteen. I think I have 13, 14, maybe 15 episodes that no, the public's never heard before, and they're my favorite. And they're, they're my best. And, and so I lock them up for them, and I try to do at least one a month. Sometimes I get two in. But we also, they have access to the case files and uh, photographs and all these different things. It, so it's a lot. And I hadn't talked about it in a while, y'all, but it's a lot that we try to give you more than anybody else gives in their Patreon. And, and nobody else has convicts. But we try to give you more for your bang for your buck because we appreciate it and we love you. All right, so thank you so much. In this Barbara Blunt's case, you can call the hotline. Don't call it a cold case. I don't know when it's going to come out. But the hotline is still there. If you want to have it, uh, call it in anonymously, please call it in. We're not going to stop. Can't tell you what's going on, but we're not going to stop. Just Courtney Coco will be in court on December 6th in Rapids, and that's it. Lopa. The Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency. We're going to be doing a huge raffle this year. We did it last year for the crew bash, for the guided fishing trip, and the two ice chests and all that. We have more people that are offering up items to be auctioned off or raffled off. And so we're going to do a special episode with Lopa and, and announce all that real soon, y'all, so we can sell it. Hey, in the crew bash, I'm, I'm not lying to you. I bet you there's not 15 VIP tickets left, and that's for the party on February the 4th, downtown Baton Rouge, and it's, and it's an all-night closed bar event for our VIP members and, and me. And we're going to hang out and we're going to party. We're staying at the Capitol Center 
Hilton. If you make your reservations, you're coming in from out of town, we got people coming in from all over the United States, call the Capitol, if you choose to stay there, call the Capitol Hilton and use code RLRC at checkout. And it's like 30 or $40 a night off, y'all. And that's where we stayed for the past two, and that's where I'm going to stay for this one, and, and we hang out. It's a good time. You're right there by 3rd Street. It's a it's a block away from where we're going to be partying at on Friday night. And that VIP ticket gets you into that event on Friday night. Saturday night is going to be amazing, right? But Friday night, we get personal, and we get to hang out and, and, and drink and dance and, and all that good stuff all night. Saturday night, the Crew Bash is going to be at the Texas Club, world-famous Texas Club. The regular general admission tickets get you in. You're going to hear a never-before live crowd, interactive, adult, beverage-drinking podcast by me on stage. And when I get done, we're going to do the Lopa stuff, and then uh, I'll spend the three or four hours, whatever it is, while Chase Tyler Band sings, the two-time Louisiana Country Music Hall of Fame inductee, he's going to rock the stage. Him and the Chase Tyler Band are going to rock the stage. I'll be upstairs signing autographs, taking pictures until we're done. Uh, and that's it. So y'all better uh, go to eventbrite.com and get your tickets while they're still there because I can promise you there's not very, very many VIPs left, and we sold a lot of general admission, and that's, I mean, Shit, it more months away from it. So, would love to see y'all there. But Lopa, something I believe in. I think November was like I donation month or something like that. Y'all don't know all the technical stuff, but I know that if if you sign up, if you're from Zimbabwe and you want to be an organ donor, go to lopa.org, sign up. Give the gift of life. Give the gift of sight. You know, I think one person can save up to five lives. It's a valid thing, y'all. You know, saving lives, be a hero, sign up to be an organ donor. And I'm Woody Overton, your host of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And until next time or ever, don't let me catch you down on Murder Bayou. Peace. Real Crime is a true crime podcast brought to you by Woody Overton and executive producer Toby Tomplay in conjunction with iHeartRadio and Cloud 10 Media.